Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Banchakalpatrubhishcha Kripasindabhyevacha Patichanam Mahalibhavarshi Vedinamaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it's May 18th, 2022, from Hawaii, over the internet, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 31, Narada Instructs the Purchatus, Text 17. Yatana Bhavya Bratama Prakasha Bhavanti Bhupana Bhavanchak Yanu Kramat Evam Pare Brahmani Shaktayas Sorry, Evam Pare Brahmani Shaktayas Twamu Yata as Nabasi in the sky Abra clouds Tamaha Darkness. Prakashaha. Illumination. Bhavanti. Exists. Bhupaha. O kings. Nabhavanti. Do not appear. Do not appear. Anukramat. Consecutively. Evam. Thus. Hare. Supreme. Bhavani. Bhavani. In the absolute. In the absolute. Shaktayaha. Energies. Energies. Two. Two. Then. Those. Rajaha. Passion. Tamaha. Darkness. Darkness. Satvam. Goodness. Itti. Das. Prabhaha. Emanation. Srila Prabhupada's translation. My dear kings, sometimes in the sky there are clouds. 
Sometimes there is darkness, and sometimes there is illumination. The appearance of all these takes place consecutively. Similarly, in the Supreme Absolute, the modes of passion, darkness, and goodness appear as consecutive energies. Sometimes they appear, and sometimes they disappear. Srila Prabhupada's purport. Darkness, illumination, and clouds sometimes appear and sometimes disappear. But even when they have disappeared, the potency is still there, always existing. In the sky, sometimes we see clouds, sometimes rainfall, and sometimes snow. Sometimes we see night, sometimes day, sometimes illumination, and sometimes darkness. All these exist due to the sun, but the sun is unaffected by all these changes. Similarly, although the Supreme Personality of God is the original cause of the total cosmic manifestation, he is unaffected by the material existence. This is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita 7.4, Bhumira Panalo Vayu Kammano Buddha Ahankara Itiyam Me Bhinar Prakritir Ashtada. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego, all together these eight comprise my separated material energies. Although the material or physical elements are the energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, they are separate. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is therefore not affected by material conditions. The Vedanta Sutra confirms Janmadhyasya Yataha 111, the creation, maintenance, and dissolution of this cosmic manifestation are due to the existence of the Supreme Lord. Nonetheless, the Lord is unaffected by all these changes in the material elements. This is indicated by the word pravaha, emanation. The sun always shines brightly and is not affected by clouds or darkness. Similarly, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is always present in his spiritual energy and is not affected by the material emanations. Brahma Samhita 5.1 confirms, Ishwar Padma Krishna Satchada Nanda Vigraha Anadir Adir Govinda Sarva Karna Karnam. Krishna, who is known as Govinda, is the Supreme Godhead. He has an eternal, blissful spiritual body. He is the origin of all. He has no other origin, and he is the prime cause of all causes. Although he is the supreme cause, the cause of all causes, he is still Padma, transcendental, and his form is Satchidananda, eternal spiritual bliss. Krishna is the shelter of everything, and this is the verdict of all scripture. Krishna is the remote cause, and material nature is the immediate cause of the cosmic manifestation. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is said that understanding prakriti, or nature, to be the cause of everything, is like understanding the nipples on the neck of a goat to be the cause of milk. Material nature is the immediate cause of the cosmic manifestation, but the original cause is Narayana Krishna. Sometimes people think that the cause of an earthen pot is the earth. We see on a potter's wheel a sufficient amount of earth to produce many pots, and although unintelligent men will say that the earth on the wheel is the cause of the pot, those who are actually advanced will find that the original cause is the potter, who supplies the earth and moves the wheel. Material nature may be a helping factor in the creation of the cosmic manifestation, but is not the ultimate cause. In Bhagavad Gita 9.10, the Lord therefore says, This material nature is working under my direction, O son of Kunti, and producing all moving and unmoving beings. The Supreme Lord casts his glance over material energy, and his glance agitates the three modes of nature. Creation then takes place. The conclusion is that nature is not the cause of the material manifestation. The Supreme Lord is the cause of all causes. Yitana Yaba 
My dear king, sometime in the sky there are clouds, sometimes there is darkness, and sometimes there is illumination. The appearance of all of these takes place consecutively. Similarly, in the Supreme Absolute, the modes of passion, darkness, and goodness appear as consecutive energies. Sometimes they appear and sometimes they disappear. So the Lord is the master of Raja, Tama, and Sattva that appear within him or within his manifestation, within his energies, as one of his energies, uh, but he's not affected by them. Uh, and nor are they independently the cause of anything. As Prabhupada says, they're helping. <laughs> uh, but they're not the cause. They're, they're not the ultimate cause. Krishna is the ultimate cause. So this explanation of Rajas, Tamas, and Sattva is very helpful to understand the material world. Oh, it's nice to understand the material world. <laughs> We're in the material world. <laughs> it's helpful to understand how it works and what's going on. You know, that's... It's nice to know if you're in a certain atmosphere, like if you go to another country, it's good to understand the laws of that country, the customs of that country, uh, if you want to be happy there. <laughs> so we're in this world, and if we want to understand how to live within this material atmosphere... It's very good to understand these modes of nature which are running the material atmosphere. And we find that among the great religious and spiritual traditions of the world that the what's called the Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, they don't have any understanding of the way that the material nature works. It, it's just kind of absent from their scriptures. It's just not there. I mean, they have very little knowledge of God and how God works. They only describe God in relation to this world, and then not very much. <laughs> and they, they really don't describe much about the soul, and they don't describe much about this world either, and the nature of this world. One second. Sorry about that. Uh, so, we're very fortunate that we have this knowledge, and it's, it's not inconsequential. The Ishopanishad says that we need to understand sambutim and asambutim. We need to understand both the origin of everything and the nature of this world side by side. It's not a question that we just have to understand God, but we don't have to understand the nature of this world. So we need to understand the nature of this world because we want to see how the world is connected with the Lord. And we also want to understand the nature of the world to see how we are entangled. So we want to understand the nature of this world both uh, to understand kind of negatively how we're entangled, how we're influenced, and in a positive way how we can use the nature of the world to get out. So let's look at what are the modes of nature, what do they have to do with the jivas, what do they have to do with God, and how we can rise above the modes, how we can transcend the modes to come to God. So what are these modes? And Srila Prabhupada usually uses these English words, goodness, passion, and ignorance. 
as, as kind of a shorthand for the modes. Uh, but they're obviously <laughs> a little bit more complicated than just one, one thing like that. And especially, I think, you know, when we use the word goodness, we can think anything that's good, it must be in sattva. And passion, it sounds like anything that somebody is really excited about or anything that somebody really cares about uh, is going to be in rajas. And ignorance, we could think anything you don't know is going to be in tamas. So it's, it's definitely not quite that simple at all. These modes are different, uh, different extents of covering. So the example is given here that there's illumination, clouds, and darkness. So these are different degrees of covering of the sun. You know, they're really not exactly completely different kinds of things. They're just degrees. So when the only thing that's covering the sun is the Earth's atmosphere, then there's, it's a bright sky. There's bright illumination. When there's clouds in the sky, we certainly know that the sun is there, but it's not as bright. The brightness is decreased. The heat is decreased, right? It's cooler and it's darker. And then at night, it gets much cooler and much darker. The, the influence of the sun at, at night, you can't even tell that there is a sun. I mean, you can tell there's a sun in the sense that the earth doesn't just go into a deep freeze. But you, you can't perceive the light or the heat of the sun in really much of an appreciable way in the darkness. So there are degrees of covering. I mean, I think it's my guide, Brother Garuda, who gave the example of a window that no covering of the modes is like you're outside. And sattva is like a clear window Rajas is like a translucent window, the kind of window that you might have in a bathroom. And uh, tamas is a, is a curtain over the window, a dark curtain over the window that's not letting in any light. So there are degrees of covering. There are degrees of obscuring reality, degrees of, of obscuring um, the truth. <laughs> all those, although uh, sattva means of the nature of, of reality. So what's the relationship of these modes to the jiva? So the, these different modes, these different gunas, give the jiva a different flavor of false ego. So let's first take tamas. So the flavor of false ego in Tama is it's very thick. One's ability to perceive the self, one's ability to perceive God, one's ability to see things as they are is very obscured. Now if we're going to say, you know, total Tamas is matter that has no consciousness of itself at all, and then there are uh, entities that are very, very much in Tamas. So let's say the, the kind of aquatics that live in the deep parts of the ocean where there's no light at all. Right? And they have these uh, horrific uh, bodies <laughs> just swimming around in, in darkness, eating each other. 
So this is very intense Thomas. For a soul that's in a human body, Thomas affects them by the, a person is thinking, I am a really wonderful person because I'm not ambitious. I don't really care about getting ahead in the world. I don't really care about making a lot of money. I don't really care about making a big difference in the world. I'm, I'm a simple person and I'm satisfied with very simple things. You know, if I have if I have food to eat and a place to sleep, you know, shelter, and I have my romantic partner and I have my recreation, you know, I'm I'm good. I don't need more than that. You know, I, I know my my family or my group, my friends, I know my work. I remember talking to this one woman once about her husband and she said all my husband did was he, you know, went to work, did his job, and came home and spent time with the family, and that was that was all he did in his life. So that's very much Thomas. You know, he never did any religious things. He never, you know, didn't read a bunch of books. He wasn't interested in in, in learning a bunch of things. You know, he wanted to become good at his work. I think he was a car salesman or something, and you know, he wanted to take care of his family, and 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 that was it. Nothing beyond that. And the ego in Tamagoon is, is, you know, I'm going to do what's easy. I'm, I'm not going to overexert myself. I'm going to be, you know, if, if it's easy to eat healthy food, if it's easy and cheap, then sure, I'll eat healthy food. And if it's not easy and cheap, then I won't. You know, I'll eat whatever is, is, is inexpensive and readily available, whether it's healthy or not. You know, is, if you think about somebody sitting on a couch watching TV, and the remote control is, is in another table. And they just, they don't want to get up and watch the remote control. Whatever comes on, whatever comes on the television is what they're going to watch. So that's kind of what Tamagoon is. It's, it's a, you know, whatever is, comes easy. And a person in Tamagoon generally takes pride in their craft. They take pride in their work. Uh, you know, they may have some sense of that they're contributing to society through their work and their they're making the world a better place through their through their work, but their their interest doesn't extend beyond that. And if somebody appears as their enemy, if somebody is is opposed to them or their family, they're really into vengeance, and they're as as Krishna says, they're expert at insulting others. <laughs> so, uh, very mean spirited. Again, they'll. They'll be nice. A person in Thomas, they'll be nice. They'll be polite if it's easy. And if it's not easy, they won't. You know, what? whatever comes easy. It's, it's a, I mean, people in Thomas will work to do well in their, in their craft and in their work. But in general, they don't want to exert themselves much. And in Thomas, a person has pride about that. You know, I'm an easygoing person. I'm living in the moment. I'm... I'm not ambitious in the world. And if people in Thomas give charity, uh, they're not very respectful about it, or they're not very careful about who they, either they, they're careful about who they give to, but they're not very respectful, or they're not even very careful about who they give to. Their engagement in religion, if they have an engagement in religion, tends to be extremely sectarian and just a, a cultural thing, a, a cultural or, or family tradition 
rather than really being interested in the spiritual side of things. Then in the covering of rajas, a person thinks, well, I'm a really good person because I am ambitious, because I really work hard. A person in rajas is very, very proud of how hard they work. They're very proud of their sacrifices. They're very proud of their austerities. They're like, you know, I'm driving an hour and a half each way to work, and I'm putting in long hours, and I'm trying to do good for the world. And Prabhupada says that the, the philanthropy in the world, the culture in the world, is, is all in rajas. You know, building the big libraries and the museums and the parks and the government buildings. And uh, basically, human society, what we think of as human civilized society, is primarily in rajas. That I'm going to really make a difference. I'm going to do something big. I'm going to have a big impact. I'm going to have my name in the history books. My statue's going to be in the park. And, you know, I'm going to sell a million copies of my book or I'm going to get a million views on on TikTok or, you know, this is big, 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 big. (laughs) Expansion, expansion, expansion. Importance, 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 importance. And I'm really going to make a difference. And and these are the, the movers and shakers in the world are very much influenced by rajas. Mm-hmm. And there's also a mood in rajas of being righteous. That Whereas in tamas, a person will be kind or righteous if it's easy, and if it's not easy, they won't be. But in rajas, people will sacrifice a lot in order to be good and to be righteous, to follow dharma. Uh, they're really, they really see themselves as very dharmic. And a lot of people in Rajas see dharma in very black and white terms. You know, something is good or it's bad. They have, they have difficulty with seeing the nuances of things. And they're, 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 therefore, they're sometimes confused about what is dharma. And people in Rajas, they see the world in terms of the body. There's a black person, there's a white person... You know, there's a man, there's a woman, there's a dog, there's a, they, they see that that's what a person is, that's what a being is. And people in Rajas certainly are interested in philosophy and certainly interested in religion many times, but not for the sake of transcendence, for the sake of, of Dharma. Prabhupada would talk about people who say that we have to worship God, otherwise people would be immoral. Worship of God is necessary for morality. And Prabhupada would, would criticize that just as much as people who worship God for money <laughs> or, or worship God for food. You know, I have to worship God in order to be a moral person. And uh, they're really interested in morality for its own sake. Now, a person in Rajas may end up doing immoral and adharmic things if they think it will promote their name and fame. And this, this can trip up somebody in Rajas. So a person in Thomas will do uh, sinful things if the pious thing is difficult because they're, they're interested in easiness. As someone in, in Rajas will generally do proper dharmic things. However, their primary interest is in honor and prestige and recognition. And, it, you know, if they have to cut corners for that, sometimes they will. If they, if they think they can get away with it if they think that no one will will catch them. But the person in Rajas is very, very interested in in honor and in justice and in ethics and morality. And they see themselves as the hard-working guardians of the world. And then in Sattva, uh, people again are not ambitious. 
similar to those in Thomas who are not ambitious. But they're not ambitious not because they're lazy, uh, but they're not ambitious because their satisfaction is internal. Their satisfaction is in the mind and the intellect or in higher levels of sattva. Their satisfaction is in spiritual cultivation. And so they're not very interested in making a big splash in a temporary world. Uh, so their, their simplicity and their lack of ambition, while superficially it may look like those in Thomas, it's coming from a very different place. And those in sattva uh, pretty much follow dharma. It's rare for a person in sattva to deviate from dharma. And the reason they're following dharma is because of the inner satisfaction it gives them. So when people say, you should forgive others for your own sake, that's a very sattva thing to say. You know, you should be forgiving of others so that you'll feel peaceful. That's very much sattva. If, you know, if someone says you should forgive others because it's the right thing to do, then that's very much in rajas. And if someone says, well, you should forgive others because that way others will forgive you later, and that's this kind of contractual thing is very much in Thomas. But in sattva, people will do the right thing because of how it makes them feel inside. That they're, they're very much, in Rajas and Thomas, people are very into the externals, how, how they feel externally, and how other people view them, how the world views them in sattva. A person, what's motivating them is their own internal feelings, their own, their own feeling of satisfaction, their own uh, view of themselves. And, and sattva gives a sense of, of peace. It gives a sense of happiness. It gives a sense of knowing and understanding that's just as addictive as the fame of rajas or the, the ease of, of tamas. And the person in sattva thinks, you know, I'm such a good person because... I'm above all of the striving and the ambition of the world, and I'm such a balanced, harmonious person. Uh, uh, so this is all different kinds of ego. And in the one sense, uh, none of these are better than the other. They're all false ego. They're all pride. They're all separation from the Lord. Uh, in another sense, the ego in sattva is more conducive to spirituality. It's closest to spirituality. However, the ego and sattva can also fool people to think that it already is spirituality. And therefore, uh, sometimes a person who's very much in sattva is not interested in spirituality because they think that they already have it. And, and we see this phenomenon quite a lot. So these, however, a person is not exclusively in one of these gunas. As we're reading in today's verse, they're changing. They're, they're moving consecutively. So when Krishna, of course, explains this in the Bhagavad Gita, and as these change, the influence on a person changes. Just like sometimes we feel really lazy, and we're just like, eh, you know, I'm not going to really bother to do anything. To, you know, I'm not going to really bother to clean my floor. I'll just pick up a few pieces of dirt that's on the floor and put it in the garbage. You know, that's the influence of Thomas. And then sometimes we're really into rajas, you know, some, somehow our, our reputation is not what we want and we're thinking, oh, I've got to go fix that and tell people what I'm really like and, and defend myself and so forth. Or I've really got to give all of my attention to fighting for social justice. And, you know, and sometimes we're overcome by sattva and we're just satisfied and, and peaceful within. And even a person who's generally in sattva is sometimes going to be under, uh, under the influence of rajas or under the influence of tamas. And sometimes a person who's genuinely Thomas is going to be under the influence of sattva. 
And of course, we each tend to have some combination of these. That's our general working life. Our, our general life is not likely to be purely in any of these. As I said, pure taluses matter. And so we have, we have some sort of combination. And this combination of the gunas influences us to like a particular way of living to favor a particular way of living, to favor a particular amount of cleanliness, a particular amount of responsibility, a particular amount of uh, enthusiasm and determination, and kinds of that also. There's different kinds of determination according to the gunas. There's different kinds of knowledge. You know, in sattva gun, one tends to see that everyone is a soul. One sees everyone equally on the spiritual level, for example. Uh, but they're all impositions on the jiva. And what we call personality on a material level is just the influences of these gunas on the jiva. The jiva is only a witness, as Krishna says three times in the Bhagavad Gita, the jiva is only a witness. That the, the gunas are acting in different ways, and by identification with the gunas, the jiva thinks, I am this kind of a person, I am that kind of a person. I am a liberal, I am a conservative, I am hardworking, I am easygoing, whatever. You know, I am outgoing, I am shy, I am careful, I am a big picture person, you know, I'm a detailed person. I, whatever, all the different ways that we categorize ourselves are, are due to these influence of the gunas, both in, from our previous life and in this life. And as a crude analogy, uh, we can think about if there's a, some kind of a story, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, that we're, we're reading about or we're hearing about or we're watching, and we identify with the character in the story. And by identification with the character in the story, we, we think, I am this kind of a person. You know, if we're watching... And Bart Mooney nicely explains this, you know, if we're watching or listening to or reading some story about a very heroic person who's really wedded to Dharma, and then we identify with that person and we think, yes, I am also a, a Dharmic hero. And if we're, you know, absorbed in a story about a thief, and we think, yes, I want to be clever like that thief. And if we're absorbed in a story about a meditative a renounced person, then we think, yes, I am that kind of a person. So that's what's actually happening. The scriptures compare it, of course, to a dream, that in a dream we take on different activities. So we're, we're just dreaming that we are these various personalities, not just in terms of the, of the gross body, but also in terms of the subtle body, and it's all just influenced by the modes. It's just the different modes playing out. So what's the relationship of these modes to God? So that's uh, described to some extent here uh, by Narada Muni, that the modes are, are changing, but the Lord is not. And Prabhupada explains very nicely in the purport how the Lord is the controller of the modes, but he's not controlled by them. And that the material energy is created by the Lord glancing upon this material energy which then causes, this glance is the glance of time, and this causes the modes to manifest. When the material energy is unmanifest, is in a dormant sleeping state, 
then we have the material energy in the pradhan, where the three divisions of the modes are not discernible. One cannot say there's Sattva's, Rajas, and Thomas. One, one can't separate them. And nor are the different elements, as Prabhupada quotes, Bhumira, Panalovayu. I mean, I like to think of it in scientific terms as if, if you could break up all the atoms into protons, neutrons, and electrons, and then there were no elements anymore. There, there was no more oxygen. There was no more hydrogen. There was no more gold. Uh, was, you can't differentiate anything anymore. So the undifferentiated, as Prabhupada says, it's, it's staying there, it's eternal, but it's changing its form. So by Krishna glancing, the Lord Vishnu glancing at, the, at Maya Devi, at the Pradhan, then it manifests as this sattva rajas and tamas, which then combine together in different ways to create the, all the different bodies, all the 8,400,000 species of life, and to play out all the different stories that are our karma, all the different scenarios, creating the environment, creating the different bodies, uh, you know, setting up, Sadhaputta Prabhu said it was like a, a virtual reality or a computer game where, you know, there's, this whole world is, is set up out of, you know, on a computer it's set up all out of ones and zeros or the three colors on the screen, however you want to think about it. And it's this whole virtual reality. And just like we can become absorbed in an ordinary, you know, movie or a play or a book, so we become absorbed in this. And we become absorbed in this so much that we think it's ourselves. But to the Lord, he's the master, the master of the video game, the movie producer, the movie director, <laughs> Uh, the author of the book, they're, they're not absorbed like that. I, the movie director, uh, they know that somebody's not really, you know, jumping out of a burning building and there's not really some huge Godzilla monster and there's not really a hero and, and all of that is, they know all of that is, is fake. They know it's just an actor nowadays with CGI or animation or or some photograph, or, you know, they, they, they know that. And so they're not bewildered by it. Like the person watching the movie, they're bewildered. They're thinking, you know, there's, there's really Godzilla crushing buildings or whatever, you know, and there's, there's really the great hero coming to save the planet. And the person watching is like, oh, what's going to happen? And the director is not like that at all. The director is like, it's just... It, it's not affected. So Krishna is not affected. He, he can see how everything's working. He sees the illusion. And in fact, he's, you can say he's hardly even aware of it. That the, this workings of the material world is done by his diverse energies. So Maya Devi, Lord Shiva, all the various demigods. So they're arranging everything. I mean, it's under his supervision. But... It's, it's not his direct absorption in how everything is going on. And he's certainly not, as I say, certainly not affected by it. There's, there's no way that the producer and director of a movie is going to be affected by uh, what's happening like the audience is affected because they, they know the reality. As I think I've given this example that when I was 10, I went to visit this set of a, in, in Hollywood of a television show that I really liked to watch. And after I had seen the set, I wasn't able 
to get into the illusion of the show as much anymore. You know, I, as a as a child, I would know. Oh, that they're going up the stairs. It looks like they're going upstairs, but actually, the stairs don't lead anywhere. <laughs> there, there's nothing upstairs. What's supposedly upstairs is simply another room, uh, in another place. And when it looks like the character is doing magic, uh, well, they're just simply stopping the camera and bringing on something, and it's it's not really magic at all. And I wasn't very, uh, I wasn't really taken in by that. So that's what the jiva needs to do, as as Krishna says that one can become free from the material nature by meditating on how he's free, because we're part of him. We're we're not really meant to be in the grip of these modes of nature. We're meant to also have this detached view, to see things as they are. To see that it's just, when Krishna talks about, we mentioned earlier, that the jiva is a witness. The jiva is meant to see, oh, it's just the modes of nature working. And as Krishna explains to Arjuna, one who does not hate illumination, attachment, and delusion when they disappear, nor long for them when they dis- does not hate them when they appear, nor long for them when they disappear, knowing that the modes alone are active. So, you know, it's like if you're walking through a Hollywood set and you're seeing all of the different contrivances. So you may not be the director, uh, but you can understand that it's all a contrivance. You know, and you're, you're not you're not going to be taken in by it. It's not going to affect you. You're not going to identify with it. Now, of course, the impersonalists and the voidists, they stop there. That one simply doesn't identify with the modes of nature. One just remains detached, seated as own neutral, Krishna says. And just like the Lord is seated as own neutral, and we we see the Lord, Sarvakalamidam Brahma, we see this as the Lord and the Lord's energy. And just to be able to do that, uh, even theoretically, anyone can understand, would give a person a tremendous feeling of peace. You know, this, this separation, this detachment from the, the various kinds of ego. And it, it's a, a piece above sattva, because in sattva a person is, yes, I am, so, I am so detached. There's still a pride about it. So even the pride of sattva appears uh, absurd to a person who's above the modes. They see that all of them are, are a pretense. All of them are superficial. That we could say, you know, karmically, that actions in sattva will get you better karma than actions in rajas, which will get you better karma than actions in tamas. And that sattva is more conducive to spirituality. Uh, but they're all, like Krishna Kavira says, you know, what is good, what is bad. And one sees that all forms of false ego are, are illusion and are bad, and one is in the real ego. I am a soul, I am not affected by this. But in bhakti we go beyond that, and we go to the real personality of the soul. So this is something that I I don't think is well understood, and I've concluded in the last 24 hours, that this is not so much even well understood among the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. I was kind of grilling this, this one preacher, uh, and I said, what does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to be a person? And this one devotee said, well, it means that we have agency, we can choose. And I said, well, a computer who's, that's programmed to play chess can also choose. You can choose what move to make based on the information that, that's come in. It's programmed like that. It can also make a choice. 
So the fact that we have agency to choose doesn't make us a person. It doesn't even make us alive. What is it that makes us a person? And what makes us ultimately a person is that we have our own personality that is separate from the modes of nature. That means I have my likes and dislikes. I have my story. I have my friends. I have my, my own particular taste separate from the modes. And that means I must have them in relation to Krishna. So when we're under the modes, we forget our reality. It hasn't gone away. We've just forgotten about it. Exactly like, you know, a person is reading a book and they forget about their real family and friends and their job and everything, right? Or they're playing a computer game or watching a movie and they forget. They become absorbed in the illusion and they forget. But that doesn't mean their real life has gone away. You know, a person can be sitting in a room reading a book or or watching some video on their phone and the rest of their family and friends are in the room but they lose awareness of them. Or, Of course, the Shastra mostly gives an example of dreaming. If you're sleeping in a room and there's 20 people walking around doing things, they're there, but you lose your awareness of them. You become absorbed in a dream. And so the, the idea, Jeev Jaga, Jeev Jaga, that we, we become aware of, we wake up to who we actually are. And we have something that's not influenced by the modes, nor is it exactly influenced by anyone else either. It's us. It's who we are. Uh, We're not who we are because, you know, a person may think, well, just like, you know, in material life, I like tomatoes and I don't like peppers, or I like peppers and I don't like tomatoes, or I like green, or I like purple, or whatever because of my experiences, because of something in my upbringing, because of something maybe in my previous lives. So in the same way in Krishna consciousness, I'll like different things because of my association. So if I hang around with devotees who like Vaikuntha, I'll like Vaikuntha. And if I hang around with devotees who like Ayodhya, I'll like Ayodhya. If I hang around with people who are coward boys, I'll like the coward boys, because that's what they're accustomed to. They're accustomed to this concept that what we have as a personality is due to these gunas. And therefore they're projecting that my original personality must be like that also. Uh, But it's not. Our original personality is our reality. It is our, our very, very self. And we have a real self of opinions and likes and tastes and inclinations and ways of being that are our real self. Just like Krishna does. Krishna has his personality, his form, his qualities that have nothing to do with the modes of nature and nothing to do with how he's acting as as the creator in this world. It's his own separate thing. It's his own intimate thing. Just like Krishna is the creator of this world. Dharmam Tusakshad Bhagavad Pradita. He is the giver of Dharma, the enforcer of Dharma. In his own uh, personal world, he's dancing with the gopis. <laughs> You know, that he's, it's not, he's not constrained by these kind of things. In fact, they don't really even have any meaning uh, there. So how are we going to uh, come to that? The concept is very simple. 
If I want to get free of the illusion, I put my attention to the reality. You know, if somebody's playing video games and they're not coming to dinner, (laughs) then they need to take their attention away from the video games and they need to put their attention onto their family. So in the same way, we need to remove our attention from the modes. Let them move as they, let them do what they want. It has nothing to do with me. And to put my attention on, on Krishna, on Krishna's name, on Krishna's form, on Krishna's qualities, Krishna's devotees, and Krishna's pastimes. And the more that I do that, the more that I become aware of my real personality, and the less and less and less I'm attracted by or influenced by or influenced, you know, these, these modes. I, I no longer have any interest in them. I start to see them, as Prabhupada says, one sees the naked form of material desires. I tra- start to see these things for what they are. They're just manipulations of, of the three modes of nature. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions? I'd like to ask a quick question for you. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, I don't remember the exact words. I didn't take good notes. But it was something to the effect that those that are following morality, depending on the nature, if it's somebody in the mode of goodness, I'm sorry, the mode of uh, ignorance, I think you said, as long as they, they're doing it because they have to do it, but they can get away with it, they think they can get away with it, they're going to break the rules. And then the mode of passion, they do it because it should be done. The mode of goodness, they do it because it makes them feel good. Reality. So that is that correct? And then I'm going to ask my question. Yeah, that's that's good enough. Okay. So my question is for me when I heard that. Well, first of all, let me say I love whenever you do a class that's focused on the modes of nature. It's so wonderful, really exact, etc. This is just the one thing that confuses me about this because it would seem to me that. To do it not because it makes you feel good, but because it need it's it's right to do it. Seems to be on a higher level than that of the mode of goodness. Nope. Not because it makes me feel good, but because it should be done like that. Okay, it's but there's the there's a different. There's, they're both like that. But one is it should it should be done because it's in harmony with me. It's it's what is the most harmonious thing to do. And another is it should be done because it's in the codes of law. So one is very external and one is internal. I mean, if you th- let's think of this with food. So if you, if you eat healthy food because you're thinking, well, my body is constructed in such a way that these certain foods make me healthy and strong and full of energy. And therefore it is what should be done for the nature of who I am. Or if you think, I'm going to eat healthy food because my doctor tells me I should eat healthy food. Or because other people will be impressed that I eat healthy food. So both of it, there's a sense of should. But it's a, it's a very different kind of should. And in Tamagun, you'll eat healthy food if it's easily and cheaply available. It's a, it's a different should. 
it's the right thing to do because it's in the scriptures and society expects it and everything will go along like that and I'll be a righteous person. Or it's the right thing to do because it's in harmony with myself and it's in harmony with the universe and I will feel so peaceful and satisfied by doing it. All of them are looking for self-satisfaction. In Satvagun, you're looking for self-satisfaction of the mind and the intelligence and the emotions. In Rajagun, you're looking for the self-satisfaction of being able to say, you know, I follow all the rules and having other people praise you. And in Tamagun, the kind of self-satisfaction you get is just like, you know, I'm a laid-back person. But they're all looking for self-satisfaction. And they're all looking, and the self is being defined as the ego. It's just a little different flavor of how you're going about it. Okay. I understood. Thank you for explaining that. Okay. So one is, uh, you're doing good because you feel in yourself, this is hard to do. Whereas in the mode of passion, it's because it's the law. It's, it's the external. law. I have to follow the law. I don't want to get into trouble. I don't, I, want to, I don't want to go to jail. And I want to be praised by others. I'm very motivated. In passion, I'm very motivated by external punishment and reward. And in, in sattva, I'm much more motivated by, you could say, internal punishment and reward. I'm much more motivated by how I feel about it. I don't want to be angry in sattva because I feel all yucky about it. And I want to be, you know, forgiving because then I feel peaceful about it. And in Rajas, a Rajas, a person even isn't even so much aware of how they feel inside. There, there's the happiness in Rajas is is still it's it's kind of mixed of the senses in the mind. So in Thomas, the happiness is almost exclusively of the senses. In Rajas, it's mixed senses and mind, and in Sattva, it's very much mind. Is that right? If I'm doing the right thing and I hope other people notice, that's Rajas. And I'm really disappointed. And if other people don't notice, that's definitely Rajas. Well, from the subject of becoming free from the illusions of this world and completely free from the the contamination of the modes of nature. It seems that if we got too free from the illusions of the world, it would be very hard to deal with in the world. Like, I mean, we're just a little tiny, infinitesimally small little spirit soul somewhere down in the, in the region of the heart. And um, if we were completely just aware of that and aware of a relationship with Krishna it seems to be very difficult to deal with in this world to play the roles that you have to play like for example you're a grandma the enjoyment that you have with your family which is is really sweet but it seems there's got to be some of the stone 
Um, like an act, like I understand that a really good actor, really good actress, in order for them to play the part, they really have to feel that part and enter into it as if they're that person. You almost have to leave their their persona behind um, to some degree to be able to play that part and play it really well and really feel and express the emotions. So, uh, otherwise, it would seem that we might just be like the um, you know the Python man and just kind of lie down in the street and you know whatever comes. Will eat whatever comes, or what have you. Well, so, that is um, that is hey. definitely an option. So we definitely and emphatically find in in the shastra and in history and tradition that some of the people who are above the modes basically stop interacting with the world in any kind of capacity. They become <clears throat> avidutas. So they stop any kind of action that can be classified within Varnashram. Varnashram is basically how you would define good, righteous action in the world. They stop doing anything to earn a livelihood, and they stop doing anything in terms of attachment or detachment within the world. And, and we, we definitely find people like that, as described in the scriptures, like the Python Man and Jadbharata. Uh, we find that in the stories of devotees who take Manaprasta or sannyas, like the Pandavas when they renounce the world, were also like that, Lord Rishabdev. And then in other religions you have, say, Mahavir among the Jains. So we have persons who live like that. And in fact, Krishna says that somebody who's on this platform has no reason to do any work in this world and has no reason to depend on any other living being. So that can be done. But suppose there's some service that the Lord wants you to do. See, under the modes of nature, we're playing these roles because I have something I want to get. I'm, I'm influenced by the modes, and the influence of the modes convinces me that I'm such and such a character, and therefore I have some profit to gain in this world. So when that's removed, you could say, why would I want to do anything? I, I no longer feel I have any profit to gain. I, I have nothing to do with this. Uh, but there might be some profit for Krishna. There might be something that Krishna wants us to do. So Krishna is interested in having transcendent people set an example for non-transcendent people. That, that interests him. He cares about that. And Krishna has an interest in transcending people directing the world in various spheres, not necessarily as kings uh, and, and government leaders, but also as intellectuals and as, as agriculturalists and business persons and as artisans. So Krishna has a desire for transcendent people to show an example and also be leaders. So how does one do that without getting into the role? Because one has another role, and that is Varasurabhaya Krishna and Nichidasa. And the example that I give all the time is that of the secret agent, the spy. So the, the spy, you know, if you're an American spy and you're going into North Korea to spy, so you're going to play your role in North Korea, your external role, very expertly so that you're not detected. Like I, I knew some devotees in China, they went to China to preach. But because preaching Krishna consciousness or any religion in China is illegal, so they went there as English teachers. And they were working with a college in, in Shanghai as English teachers. So they were doing their job as English teachers. That meant they had to maintain an apartment and, you know, so many things. 
in order to play that role, but their purpose was to be there to preach Krishna consciousness. So they weren't thinking, I'm an English teacher. You know, that wasn't their, that was just their cover story. And of course, Rupa Goswami gives the example of the unfaithful wife. It could be an unfaithful husband, of course, also, but you know, the unfaithful spouse. So the unfaithful wife, she's, she's no longer identifying as her husband's wife. She's not, it's not it's, she's lost that identification. Her, being her husband's wife has become just something official. And her real heart and her real emotions are with her, her lover. But externally, she's doing her job very well, so she won't be uh, suspected. So there's, there's uh, you know, there's a way to work in the world. And the Bhagavatam explains that one who's transcendental to the modes, they hardly even notice what their body's doing. It said, like an intoxicated person doesn't know if they're dressed or not. That the, the, the body's just doing what it's doing, and one is actually absorbed in a different reality. And, and of course, one will be much more expert in one's duties when one is transcendent to the modes, because one no longer has something selfish to gain by one's actions. The selfishness we have in, in, under the modes impedes us from being perfectly in line with Dharma. It just, we can't be. We're, we keep throwing a wrench into things. We have, a, we have our own agenda. You know, people will say, well, I, I don't have any agenda. I'm just doing this for altruistic purposes. But that's impossible if you're under the modes. <clears throat> you know, so if you're taking care of your family or you have a job, you know, whatever, you're, you're thinking, how can I gain from this at their expense? Is basically what a person is thinking. And everyone's thinking like that. Everyone's thinking, how can I gain at their expense? Like I always say, you know, if something's on sale, you don't go to the shopkeeper and complain and say, are you sure you want to sell it so cheaply? You know, nobody does that. You're like, great, it's on sale. So we're, we're constantly looking like that for a sale. But if you're above the modes, you're satisfied. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not always trying to get the better deal out of people and out of your circumstances. It, there isn't anything in it for you because you already have everything. So you're actually, a person in that state is actually much better at, at the different roles in this world, although their attention isn't, isn't on them, so to speak. All right, um, it is after time. Thank you very, very much for this opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.